0: John chapter number 14 this morning. We'll start down in verse number 16, read through the end of the chapter this morning. And I'll just give it what the Lord put on my heart. And it's an interesting story how it got on my heart. And uh, we'll share that with you. It said, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not. Neither knoweth him, but you know him. For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. We could stop and shout glory for the next 30 minutes over that. First how many glad he doesn't leave you comfortless? <laughs> and when you can't get to him, he knows exactly where you are. and <laughs> knows how to get to you. Verse number 19, yet a little while, the world seeth me no more. But you see me because I live. Ye shall live also, speaking of the resurrection, and at that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. That sounds really secure, doesn't it? <laughs> That's not just a singular security system. That's a a threefold cord isn't easily broken. We thank the Lord for that this morning. I am in, I'm in, in the Father, ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and He that loveth me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, "Him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my father will love him, and he will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth... uh, he that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings and the word which he hears is not mine, but the father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you being yet present with you. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, I'm glad he cleared that up, whom the father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I said unto you. Peace I leave you with, or peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, Give I unto you? Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be, neither let it be afraid. You have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you loved me, you would rejoice, because I said I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And I know I have told you before it it come to pass that when it has come to pass, you might believe. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. Well, I just want to thank you, Lord, for the atmosphere and the presence of God this morning. God, it calms our hearts at the same time it encourages us, challenges us, strengthens us. God, I'm so thankful this morning that there's a little church on the side of the highway. Lord, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people have driven by this place. God, they've been too busy. They've had other places to go, things to see, things to do. But, Lord, I'm so grateful this morning. God, you're not too busy for us. God, you meet us where we are. Give us what we need. Pick us up, strengthen us, correct us, and straighten us out. Lord, I'm grateful for all of it because all of it's a proof that I'm your child. And I pray, Lord, this morning that you have me behind the cross of Calvary I pray, God, get me out of myself, Lord, and fill me with your spirit this morning. I pray, Lord, this morning, whatever's said and done, henceforth, what's already been done will be done for the glory and honor of God. We ask you, Lord, this morning, if there's anybody here they don't know you as a personal Lord and Savior, God, you've been dealing with their hearts. God, you've been drawing them. I pray, Lord, today would be the glad day that they'd get saved by the grace of God. Lord, they're in the perfect place for it to happen or that we have the word of God Lord, that can lead them to salvation. And I ask you, Lord, this morning that we would just honor you. We would glorify you. Lord, we thank you for our country. We thank you for the freedoms that we have. We thank you, Lord, for keeping us safe and helping us make it through the trials that we go through. And Lord, help us, Lord, as individuals and as a country continue to honor you. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. One thing I found out since being pastor, and when you're preaching multiple times a week, uh, sometimes sermon ideas and sermon thoughts and uh, what you're going to preach on and what you're going to preach from can come from the most odd places, odd circumstances. And sometimes, you know, it, it works out what we call the normal way. I'm reading my Bible and studying the Word of God, and it's just like it leaps off the page. It's amazing how sometimes. Uh, it'll take me hours to write out a sermon and to to get all my thoughts, so to speak, in order. And it's it's a it's a labor, and you're and you're studying, your brain's hurting, and you're doing all of that, and it's 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 difficult. But at the same time, it's good because you're digging into the Word of God. But sometimes you, I struggle with with the formulation process of a sermon. And then sometimes it's like God just alliterates it in the Bible. There's a point right there. All I gotta do is write them down and say this is what God has said. And it's just like it just leaps off the page. Sometimes it happens that way. Sometimes there's a, a certain phrase or a certain saying that I hear or, or that I, I hear another preacher say in their message and, and God will take that and he'll begin to work it in my heart and he'll line it up with the scripture. And can I say this morning, I want every sermon that I preach to be lined up with the word of God because if it's not lined up with the word of God, it's not a sermon, it's an opinion. And you don't need my opinion. That ain't gonna help you too much. You need to hear from heaven. We need to hear thus saith the Lord and here's what the Bible says and how to apply it to our everyday life. But sometimes it's a certain phrase or a saying that gets stuck in my mind or gets stuck in my heart and God takes his word and shows me some great truth that way and we're grateful for that. Sometimes it's a current event. Or it's days like today, there's a great significant time in history and moment in history that we can look back on and we can look not through the eyes of, of the secular world, but look through the lens of the scripture and see some great truths just like this. We look at those that ran towards the buildings on September 11th, those that went in to rescue knowing their lives were on the line, knowing good and well they may not come out, but it was a thought if I can just save one person, it'll be worth it all. Can I say when we all have that same heart when it comes to being a Christian and being a soul winner, if I can just save one person, let me run into the burning building, let me run into the dangerous situation because they need to hear that there is help on the way. Sometimes it's a current situation, a current event, a curtain, day like today. But the message I have for you this morning, it didn't come necessarily from my daily reading of the scriptures. It didn't come from a current event today. Matter of fact, I knew what today was. But a couple weeks ago, Jordan was taking up the offering. And I asked him to pray and he's just like me. He's just like you. Boy, we can pray real good by ourselves. We can pray real good when nobody's listening. I preach great messages when nobody's listening to me. When it's just me by myself (laughs) with nobody else around and I'll preach the, the fire out of a message and nobody will ever hear it. But I asked him to pray and in his prayer, he began to ask God to bless the offering. And he he went to go say that phrase that we've heard and no doubt he's heard it. Lord, bless the gift and the giver. And then somewhere he thought there's another part to this. And you could hear him. He stopped. He said, I don't know the rest of the saying. He said, and bless the given. And then he said, amen. I've been there. I've been there and, and praying in front of people and said things like how in the world did I just... Say that. Where did that come from? <laughs> I remember one time I'd been out sick, I don't know if it was after I had shingles or if I had the stomach bug. It was a few years ago. And I was called on to pray. What I intended to say was, Lord, I'm glad to be back. What came out was Lord, I'm glad to be black. <laughs> What'd you do, preacher? Hurried up and said, Amen. (laughs) There ain't nothing else to say after that. (laughs) God was up in heaven and said, He don't get it, does he? (laughs) He don't get it. But this morning I want to preach on this thought. Because Jordan prayed that prayer. And matter of fact, after the service, Brother Jacob said, You hear Jordan Jordan preached him a sermon during the prayer, alliterating everything. We want to thank you for the giver, the gift, and the given. (laughs) and I haven't been able to shake it, Brother Jacob. It was one of them sermons I preached in the bathroom all by myself, standing in the mirror. I did my best preacher voice. Thank God for the giver and the gift and the given. And then I was reading my Bible, John chapter 14, and God began to show me there is a gift. There is a giver, and there is a given. We ought to be thankful for all of them. So this morning, I'm gonna preach on this thought, I wanna give thanks for the giver, the gift, and the given. I believe every one of us this morning that are blood washed, born again Christians ought to give thanks to the giver, the gift, and the given. We can by noticing the following truths of each of those, about those this morning. The giver, the gift, and the given. Notice number one this morning, we can be thankful for the giver. Look at verse number 24 this morning of John chapter 14. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. In the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. There's a song, I don't know who wrote it, I don't know who sings it, where it came from, but there's this song that, and I understand what the artist is probably trying to say, what the songwriter was intending to say, but the song is that God had to search all over heaven to find somebody that was willing to come and die for man's sin. And no doubt, like I, said, I understand probably where they were going with that, but can I say this morning, God didn't search all over heaven. He didn't go to Michael, the archangel, and said, would you go and die for man's sin? He knew he couldn't do it. He didn't go find Gabriel and said, not clearly announced, but can you die for the sin? And Gabriel couldn't do it. He didn't go find the Old Testament men of God like Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and say, could you go back and die for man's sin? Abraham would have said, Lord, I can't because I'm not perfect. Moses would have said, oh, I let it. Israel out of Egypt, but I can't lead man out of sin. I don't have that ability in myself to do. That. I don't think God had to look all around heaven and say, "Who is willing to go?" I believe long before man ever came, God, man was ever created. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost sat down and reasoned together and said, "Hey, listen, if we're going to create them, they're going to go into sin. They're going to they're going to they're going to uh, what's the They're going to blaspheme us. They're going to they're going to be uh, wicked people, do bad things. They're going to mess up our creation." And Jesus said, "It's all right because I'll go to pay." for their sin. Can I say this one? I'm glad for the giver. I don't think he had to look all around. He knew who was willing to go. But here's the interesting thing. We know what the scripture teaches that God in essence pinned himself into a corner and said he's the only one that's worthy. He's the only one that can. He's the only one that is able to die for a man's sin. My only begotten son is the only one that can do it. In essence, he put himself on a singular plan. That's not how me and you operate. Now, we like to make plans, but how do of us have backup plans for our backup plans? If things don't go the way that we expect or anticipate, we, we have learned, and I'm a firm believer that adaptation and learning how to adapt in scenarios and situations is beneficial to anybody, but God said there's only one way. There's only one way this can be. There are not multiple ways that this can play out. There are not backup plans that this doesn't work out. God said there's only a way. In order for him to make all of that to come true, to make all of that happen, it shows his power, his omniscience, his all-knowing ability, his sovereignty that God didn't say, oh no, we need a backup plan. Oh no, I don't know what we're gonna do about this. He said, no, there's only one way and it's through my son and I'm willing to give him. We can thank God for the giver Notice this, not only did God put himself on a singular plan, he gave his plan to the enemy. In essence, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem and salvation's plan began to work out in the life of Christ, dying on Calvary, do you know Satan knew through the old men of God, the prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Micah who foretold the coming of Christ, he knew that this was going to take place knew what God was going to do, and he couldn't stop it. There was nothing he could do. Can I say this morning, if you were playing a game, if you were playing a sport, would you take your playbook and say, hey, here's my playbook. Here's how I'm going to do it. Try to stop me. you got to have some boldness to do that. <laughs> but that's what God did. He said, here's what I'm going to do. Try to stop me. I'd be glad this morning Satan couldn't stop him. Even when he had a one-on-one encounter with Christ, He couldn't stop them. He said, I'll give you everything if you'll just bow down to me. In essence, Jesus said, why? I already have everything. (laughs) You can't give me what's already mine. It's mine. I want you to notice this morning, the giver was pleased with his gift. The giver was pleased with his gift. Mark chapter three, verse 17 is is one of the accounts of Jesus being baptized in the Jordan River. We know the account. John is out there baptizing the baptism of repentance of sins. He's out there baptizing believers. He's out there proclaiming that there's one coming, proclaiming the forerunner of Christ. Then the one day the Lord shows up and as he's being baptized, the Bible says that the heavens open up. God speaks and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Please, not that I just take some pleasure in him, not just that he's okay every now and again, but I am well pleased by him. That means I take complete pleasure in him. I prefer him over anybody else. Let me ask you this morning, do you ever struggle to find the perfect, perfect gift? Well, Jacob, it's gift cards. That's the perfect gift for me. <laughs> what are we gonna get them for Christmas? Give them a gift card. What are we gonna get them for their anniversary? Give them a gift card. They just graduated high school. What are you going to give them? Give them a gift card. They're getting married. Give them a gift card. That's my answer to everything. It solves the problem. Just give them a gift card. Now, Miss Becky, she's not like me. She takes thought into her gifts. She wants to give the perfect gift. She She wants it to be meaningful. I just want to solve the problem. She wants to give the perfect gift. She wants to give a gift that means something, that that, that is significant to them or to us or to our relationship with them. It has to be the one. You can't just settle for something. You can't just give them a gift card. You got to get them the one. And can I say this morning, when Miss Becky gives a gift, people always seem to love it. (laughs) When I give gift cards, they're like, thanks. (laughs) thanks for showing me that you care. (laughs) I'm glad this morning that when it came to giving the perfect gift, God didn't settle for less. God wasn't trying to just make something up and go with it and appease the situation. He said, I'm going to give the gift that I'm most pleased in. The one I prefer over anybody else and anything else, I'm willing to give my son the giver was pleased with his gift. He gave us the perfect gift. Really, he gave us all we need and all we should want in his son. The giver was pleased with the gift. Notice number two, the giver, not number two, under this one, number one, the giver gave us a precious gift. He gave us a precious gift. John three sixteen. Who did he give? His only begotten son his only begotten son, he gave us all that he had. Speaking about gifts, <laughs> if it ain't a gift card, you gotta be careful. Because I might just be giving you something that somebody else gave me. What's that called, preacher? Re-gifting. <laughs> Re-gifting somebody gave you something and maybe you already have one of those. Maybe it's something that you don't necessarily need or you have no use for it. And so instead of just letting it sit somewhere, you say, I'm gonna go give this to somebody who needs it. Something we don't ever use, something we already have. Can I say this morning? God didn't have multiple sons. God didn't have Jesus and then a few others. He had one son. He was precious to the Father. He was God's only begotten Son, well, I can't imagine, I can't imagine as a father taking one of my children, let alone if I only had one, and giving them over to people who don't want him. Giving him to die for people that would reject him. Giving him to die for people that would mock him and ridicule him and all those kind of things that wouldn't receive the gift, but instead reject him, God gave his only son. But he gave him with an expectation. That when I give him to you, I expect you to accept him. I want you to accept him. Because if he didn't want us to accept him, then why would he give him in the first place? I'm glad this morning And thankful for the giver this morning that is willing to give his only begotten son. Let me ask you this morning, have you met God's expectation with his gift? He gave it that you might receive him. Have you done that this morning? The greatest, the greatest sense of thanks and gratefulness and gratitude is that when one receives and, and extends a gift to you, you take it and receive it. And enjoy it. Could you imagine how awkward it would be at your Christmas party this year when somebody that cares for you and has sacrificed for you and spent money for you in today's economy lays a gift down in your lap and you say, oh, no thanks, I don't want that. You can keep it. I have no use for that. Well, we'd all be heartbroken, wouldn't we? That'd bother us. Well, I'm glad God knew that there would be some that would say, no, thank you. No, thank you. But yet he was still willing to give us some because there would be some that would say, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the the gift that you've given to me because those of us that have received Christ know desperately how bad we needed him how we couldn't do it by ourselves. We can be thankful for the giver this morning. Aren't you glad for the giver, the father this morning? Number two, we can be thankful for the gift. Look at verse number 24. One more time this morning. Jesus answered, excuse me, verse number 24. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the word wor- which he hears is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. Now, I understand it's very elementary this morning. God, the Father, is the giver. Christ is the gift this morning that was given to a lost and dying world He was given freely. He was giving willingly. But in essence, what Jesus is saying here to his disciples and those that are with him that evening is he steps out and says, hey, y'all, I'm the gift. I'm the one that the Father has given to this world. (laughs) Could you imagine as much as you love me and as much as I'm grateful that you love me, that if I showed up to your party, your birthday party, to celebrate you. and I showed up and you said, Hey, preacher, so good to see you. And I walked in and said, I just want to let you know, I'm the gift. You'd say, Preacher, <laughs> I love you, but you don't go crazy again. <laughs> it's the third time this week, preacher. Because you may, I'm the gift. Look at me. I'm the gift. I'm a wonderful gift. I'm a great gift. I'm a magnificent gift. And you'd say, Preacher, you're full of pride. You're full of arrogance. Yeah, listen, but you're good and you're great, but you're not that good. But when Jesus said I'm the gift, it wasn't said with arrogancy. It wasn't said with pride. It was said with truth. It was said with reality that Jesus is the greatest gift that man's ever known. It's ever been given. Man. We already know it was a promised gift. We talked about it in the, he, the, the, the prophecies foretold that he would come, that he'd be given to the world. Isaiah talked about how he'd be wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. Micah tells us he'd be born in Bethlehem. We know it's a promised gift. Boy, that's something about raising kids, man. I love it. I absolutely love it. <laughs> They'll say something, Daddy, I want this. Daddy, can I have this? Can I, can I, can I, Daddy, can I, can I have this for my birthday? I mean, T.R. has got a laundry list of expectations for his birthday. But they've grown accustomed to them asking for something for their birthday and out of love us giving it to them. Me and T.R. were playing Frisbee golf this week and we were on a hole there in Pendleton King Park and I threw it. And it's a hole that you ought not to lose a disc on. I threw it and I watched it where it fell. And somewhere between the bush that it went over and the ground, it fell into an alternate universe. Because that thing disappeared. And so me and TR were walking around trying to find it. And he said, Dad, don't worry about it. He said, Just ask for one for your birthday. (laughs) I said, Son, you don't know how that really works. He's like, you should get another one, Dad. But notice here this morning, we knew the gift was coming according to the scriptures. It was the promised Messiah. he was the promised gift. But not only was he promised, but he was a perfect gift. He was a perfect gift. Matter of fact, the thief on the cross was able to look at the Lord in all of that he had gone through, all the, the bloodiness, all the brutality, all the beating, all the buffeting, all that he went through and all that he looked like hanging there on the cross in open shame and and all of that before the world, that, that other thing was able to look at him and say, behold, this man has done nothing amiss. Peter said it this way, he who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, Paul put it this way in Corinthians, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, that he was a perfect gift. Now there's a crowd out there saying that Jesus could have been and might have been and probably was actually a sinner. Can I say they're wrong, they're wrong, they're wrong. Jesus was a perfect gift. There was no sin in him. He didn't commit no sin. There was no guile in him. He didn't have a wrong thought, a wrong attitude. He never was disrespectful, disobedient. He always did right. He's the perfect gift. How perfect is he, preacher? Is that if you can't find it in Christ, you can't find it. If you can't find it in Christ, you can't find it this morning. He's a perfect gift. But look at verse number 31. He's a powerful gift. Verse number 31, but that the world may know that I love the Father and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do arise. Arise. Let us go hence. Let me ask you, where were they going? Eventually to Calvary. Eventually to the cross. Eventually to the tomb. Eventually to death. But eventually to the resurrection. So let us go hence. Can I say this morning, as Christ approached Calvary, as he approached the beatings, as he approached the scoffing and the mocking and the lying upon, as he approached all of that this morning, he didn't approach it as a victim. He approached it as a victor. As one who knew that this is not the end of the road. Yes, I will give up the ghost on the cross. Yes, I will lay down my life for sinful man. Yes, they will beat me. Yes, they will mock me. Yes, they will deride me. Yes, they will lay my body in a tomb. But thanks be to God, there's a Sunday coming. There's a third day coming. And up from the grave, he arose, conquering death, hell, and the grave. And every single sin every every man's ever committed. He's a powerful gift. He didn't go as a victim. He went as a victor. He conquered it all. He's greater than all of it. He has more power. You got to realize this when he had power over sin. Sin has gripped every man since Adam. Every woman since Adam has had sin and could not figure it out themselves, could not conquer it themselves, could not solve it themselves. In 2022, with all of our education, all of our technology, all of our information, Google can't help you with your sin this morning because they don't have the answer. But Christ was greater than it. Death has found every man. Death has stopped every life. No man outside of Christ in his own power has come back from death. Oh, preacher, what about Lazarus? He was dead. Yeah, but who called him out of the grave? Lazarus wasn't laying in the tomb saying, you know what? I think I'm going to walk out of this place. I'm tired of being dead. Not any fun. I'm going to go back to being alive again. Not how it worked. Jesus said, come forth, Lazarus. But nobody was at the tomb that morning saying, Jesus, come forth. Jesus, would you come out of there? Jesus, would you get up and rise again? Matter of fact, as Mary approached the tomb, she wasn't approaching as one who was expecting a resurrection. She was expecting a body that needed to be prepared for proper burial. She showed up and she said, the tomb's empty. I don't know where he's gone. Sir, what have you done with our our master? What have you done with the Lord? He's a powerful gift. He looked death in the face and said, you're not enough to stop me. By his own power, he got up and walked again and lived again. He's a perfect gift. He's a promised gift. He's a powerful gift. But verse number 27, he's a peaceful gift. Look at verse number 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Outside of almost being a tongue twister, there's some great truth in that verse but it doesn't really make sense in our modern-day vernacular, our modern-day conversation. So let me explain it in a way that hopefully that will help. Bible days, there was a, a customary greeting, and uh, I don't know the word did you say, goodbye. I don't, I don't know, salutation. Uh, and it wasn't goodbye, but rather it was shalom. Two Hebrew people would say shalom when they greeted And then they would say, Shalom, as they departed. And Shalom means peace. I wish peace upon you. I hope you have a peaceful day. Shalom, the peace of the Lord be upon you. But in essence, it was as similar as me and you just saying goodbye one to another, or good morning one to another. And though we aren't necessarily being rude about it, we don't know if your morning's been good or not. We don't know if you're going to have a goodbye. just a buy in itself. I remember working at the cabinet shop and I told a guy, just out of habit, just out of being kind and polite, hey, good morning. He grumbled at me, what's so good about it? I said, I don't know. (laughs) Have a great day. (laughs) Hey, good, how's it gonna be great? I'm just gonna be quiet. But there's that just customer greeting. See, we'll say hello and goodbye to each other. And We're not necessarily being rude by it, and we're not—we don't care about you. It. It's just what we're accustomed to do. But there's not really much weight behind it. There's not really much emotional investment behind it. Let me ask you: When you're at the store, you tell the cashier "Good morning." Do you follow behind them and make sure they have a good morning? Do you make sure they have a goodbye, or you just say it? You said, "I'm not like that." This peace that I'm giving you is not the equivalent of just a, a customary hello or goodbye. He said, I'm leaving you with real peace. I'm leaving you with something that you can't fully explain, but you can fully enjoy. I'm leaving you with something that, that this world doesn't comprehend because they don't know me. That's why the Bible says as a Christian, we have peace that passes Understanding. They'll see us in the midst of a trial and a situation and they'll say, how in the world are you still sane? How in the world are you still in your right mind? How in the world have you not turned to alcohol? How in the world have you not turned to substances? How in the world have you not turned to substitutes? How in the world have you not turned to things to deal with this? I have a peaceful gift. And his name's Jesus. Thank God, not only for the giver this morning, but thank God for the gift. Thank God for the gift. And I don't know about you this morning, the longer you live, it seems like the more wonderful gifts become. (laughs) When I was eight years old, I thought I had received the greatest gift of my life. Preachers, you get saved when you're eight, no. But eight years old, I thought I had received the greatest gift that any eight-year-old could ever receive. It was a PlayStation 1. I grabbed the box. I kid you not. Me and my brother got it as a shared gift. I grabbed the controller in the box and ran around the house with it above my head. I don't know if I—I I don't know what I was screaming and yelling, but I was so excited because we had a PlayStation One. Then <laughs> they're on twelve nowadays. But I was so excited. I thought I was the greatest gift. But it's amazing what becomes great gifts as I get older. I told it last year, I would always, at the house, we'd cook you know, garlic bread and things like that, homemade bread, and I would say, I need a bread knife. Well, I'd really like to have a bread knife. I really, I really want a bread knife. And somewhere, T.R. caught on to that. He said, Dad needs a bread knife. And so he, for his birthday, he asked for money. Anybody said, what do you want, T.R.? He said, I want money. He said, wow, so I can buy Christmas gifts for people. And somewhere he took his own money and bought me a bread knife. He had wrapped it up. He handed it to me. It's, you know, two inches wide, 12 inches long. He's like, Dad, you know what that is? No, son. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Part of it was sticking out the end of it. I said, son, you know what that is? Now you know what that is? I said, no. Boy, when I opened that thing, I made it seem like it was the greatest thing anybody's ever given me. While preaching, you was faking, wasn't it? No. As I get older, the thought behind the gift and the love that it's given with and the heart that's behind it, boy, it means a whole lot lot more to me than just the substance that's within my hands. And the longer I live as a Christian, the longer I experience grace and mercy and peace, I begin to realize how great that gift really is. How great Jesus really is. Are you thankful for the gift this morning? Are you thankful for the giver? As Jordan would say, are you thankful for the given? Preacher, you got the gift, you got the giver. What in the world, or who in the world, is the given? Look at verse number 26. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, That's a word that most Baptists are scared of. But it's a Bible word. It's a Bible title. Don't be scared to say the Holy Ghost. Some are scared because they say it enough, he might show up. (laughs) I say, come on with it. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said under you. This was the part of the prayer that George wasn't too sure about. And thank you, Lord, for the the giving. Ironic. There's some who still aren't sure about the Holy Ghost either. I, 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 do 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 I? When when, when did I get him? How do I get them? They're trying. You know, they'll say, I'm, "I'm trying to catch the Holy Ghost." Last time I checked, he ain't running around. <laughs> he ain't playing tag with us this morning. I'm trying to catch the Holy Ghost. I'm trying to get some gifts and I'm trying to impress the Holy Ghost. Trying to catch him. Trying to earn his presence in my life. Let me ask you this one. How can we earn something or catch something that we already have? (laughs) Preacher, when did you get the Holy Ghost? When I got saved by the grace of God. The Holy Spirit now dwells inside of us. He's the indwelling Spirit of God in our life. Notice the title of the Holy Ghost given here in verse number 26. But the comforter. God the Father is the giver. Christ is the gift. And the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, is the given this morning. And why was He given to us? To be a comforter. To be a comforter. Now, I don't know how your mind works. But when I think of a comforter, that is somebody who comes beside you, pats you on your back, and says, it's going to be okay. You're going to be all right. Can I say, I could do that for you, but I don't have all assurance that it's going to be okay, and it's going to be all right, that everything's going to work out in your favor, exactly how you want it to work out. Sometimes we think somebody just comes and tells us and tries to soothe us and make everything seem Okay. And everything will going to be fine this morning. But notice in verse number 26, we're told he's a comforter, then we're also told how he comforts. We're told how he comforts in verse number 26. How does he do that, preacher? He uses education. You go verse number 26. He shall teach you all things. He shall teach you all things. It's amazing. These men have been walking with the Lord Jesus Christ for three and a half years. And Jesus said, I ain't taught you everything yet. But he will. When he comes, he'll teach you all things. He'll teach you the hows. He'll teach you the whys. He'll teach you the wheres. He'll teach you the winds. He'll teach you everything you need to know. And that brings comfort. Matter of fact, how did you know that you were a sinner? The Holy Ghost told you you were. How did you know that Jesus died for you? The Holy Ghost said he did. How did you know you can be saved? The Holy Spirit took the word of God and said, this is how you can be saved. He taught you how to be saved. He taught you how to live the Christian life. He uses education. He not only educates you about yourself, but he educates you about himself too. Well, there's comfort that comes. The more you learn about God, learning more about the Bible and the truths of it, there is comfort that comes that I can't describe this morning. Our world's gone crazy. And I refuse to go crazy with them. Why? I know the truth. I know the truth this morning. Why? The Holy Spirit taught it to me through the word of God. And that's comforting. He uses education, but he also uses conviction. Preacher, conviction and comfort don't go together. They should in the Christian's life. Conviction and comfort ought to go together in the Christian's life. Look at verse number 26. Not only teach you all things and bring all things together, to your remembrance. Bring all things to your remembrance. You ever had that happen? (laughs) You went to go do something that you used to do? You went to go satisfy the flesh? You went to go uh, participate in something that, that you knew was wrong? And the Holy Spirit brought it up to your remembrance and said, hey, we don't do that no more. We don't go there no more. We don't live that way no more. We don't say those things no more. We don't act that way no more. He brought it up to your remembrance. Hey, I don't have to do that anymore. Here's the thing as a believer you will never go out to sin and go out and get into sin without conviction. You will not live in sin without conviction. You will not get right without conviction. That's why I firmly believe the most miserable people you face on planet earth you'll meet on planet earth are not lost people but it's those who are saved trying to live like lost people. Because every day they get up, the Holy Spirit's telling them, that's not right. It's not wrong. You need to get right. Now I bring comfort to a believer that God loves you enough that he's willing to help you get things right, to get that fellowship restored. Thank God for the gift. Thank God for the giver. Thank God for the given. And those who aren't comforted by conviction only complain about it. But I'm glad for the times the Holy Spirit said, hey, no, you don't need to do that no more. You don't have to think that way. You don't have to live that way. Aren't you glad this morning that the Holy Spirit was given to us to teach us all things and to convict us over all things that we might be comforted this morning? As a believer, we can give thanks for the giver that God gave his son. We can thank God for the gift that the son was willing to come, when you thank God for the given, that we weren't left alone, we weren't left comfortless, or comfortless, we were left with the comforter. I think we ought to spend some time today and say thank you, Lord, for the gift. Thank you, Lord, for the giver. Thank you, Lord, for the given. Let's all stand this morning, head bowed, every eye closed.